Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Nine. Twelve. Ten. Twenty-eight. Two. Twenty-three. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Deep State Radio. I am here. I am David Rothkopf, by the way, and I am here, and I am in New York City, about to go to Washington, D.C., in our third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK studio in Washington, D.C., is David Sanger of the New York Times. At an undisclosed location is current Tiara of Optimism holder Rosa Brooks of Georgetown University. And walking through an airport parking lot somewhere in California is Corey Shockey. Uh, today, what we would like to discuss is a question that is looming large in the minds of everybody, possibly looming as large as the question is, will Kid Rock really run for the Senate in Michigan, or will Dwayne Johnson really run for president of the United States? And that is where Donald Trump will get to fight his first shooting war. And the place I'd like to start is a place that David Sanger knows extremely well, and he's been writing a lot of very, very good stuff about recently, and that is North Korea. You missed our episode, David, when we were discussing North Korea, and the general consensus was there probably won't be a war there because it's not really in anybody's interest. But you've been right on top of this, and I really wanted you to be there in the middle of that conversation. So let me start with that. What do you think the likelihood as of right now that there will be some kind of military confrontation between North Korea and South Korea, North Korea and the United States or some combination thereof? I think there's a fairly high uh, likelihood that there will be a low-level confrontation, which could mean the North Koreans shelling something in South Korea – some kind of confrontation in the high seas when the United States tries to inspect a North Korean ship, uh, a cyber attack by North Korea on the U.S., a cyber attack. We've already had several by uh, the United States on North Korea. But I think there's a relatively low chance that you're going to see an escalation that would result in um, American forces being in direct contact again with North Korean forces. In other words, a restart of the Korean War. Um, there are some things that could trip us into that. Uh, we are uh, – if you, if you take uh, Kim Jong-un and Donald Trump and put them together, they have seven years of governmental experience. Six of those belong to Kim. And, <laughs> and they probably have 37 psychiatric disorders between them. Well, they certainly have um, an awful lot of nasty rhetoric uh, between them that could uh, require either one of them to go prove 
that they're um, not going to be intimidated by the other. And it is the possibility of miscalculation and of rapid escalation from that miscalculation that worries me the most uh, about whether we got into a full-scale conflict. Let me just give you a short example. The U.S. hails a North Korean ship that's suspecting of carrying material for the nuclear missile program or just plain old weapons. The North Koreans refuse to stop. The U.S. surrounds the ship. Someone in North Korea takes a shot at someone in the U.S. ship. The U.S. ship takes the cargo ship, the North Korean cargo ship, and puts it at the bottom of the Pacific. And uh, all of a sudden, Kim's got to decide how and when to retaliate. That could be ugly. Now, Rosa, you know, as you sit so close to the helm of one of America's leading law schools, and I listen to David, and then I think of some of the confrontations we might, in fact, face with Iran, I wonder, to what extent are you guys directing people to study the law of the sea? As a matter of fact, David, we have a number of classes on the law of the sea, which is very interesting and important. And people who are not lawyers think it is boring and trivial, but we love it and we study it like crazy. <laughs> that sounds like Corey in the background. She loves the law of the sea, too. We all love the law I of the sea. I do love the law of the sea. I mean, really, who doesn't except for the U.S. Senate, unfortunately? Well, that's true. That's true. And Corey driving with her window open makes it sound like she's actually at sea. Um, I'm sorry. I want to know if the, does the law of the sea indicate does the law of the sea indicate whether or not you can wear a tiara while at sea? Even if a tiara. You're in international of, uh, waters, you can wear any kind of tiara you want. Got it. See? Okay. Yeah, as long as you're as long as you're beyond the coastal waterways. You know, North it Korea has to can't be control flagged, though, doesn't it, Rosa? <laughs> yeah, it has to be flagged. No, the law of the sea is 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 fun, among other things. It sounds boring, but it's actually really fun because it tells you all about what to do with pirates and so forth. Um, it also tells you why China is wrong about various things, and unfortunately, it tells you why the U.S. is wrong about various things too, which is sort of why the Senate doesn't like it. But but uh, that's another story. I don't want to digress too far, but I saw a story today that talked about a United States submarine of a very secret sort called the Jimmy Carter returning from a mission. And the, the submarine was flying the Jolly Roger. And the commentator noted that that suggests that they had just done something operational on the course of this mission from which they were returning. Now, this is the kind of naval lore that I didn't really know. <laughs> But, As opposed to that they were having a, a good time with the press, <laughs> which you right. could also suggest. <laughs> Very possibly. But I thought, oh, that's interesting. The United States flies the Jolly Roger when we're doing operational missions. I wonder if that sends the right message. <laughs> <laughs> when dealing with North Korea, it might send exactly the right message. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's true. Now, David, and I'm, then we'll you know get into serious conversation here. As you're watching the North Korea thing, it seemed like we sort of have had a couple of spikes of concern. And they tend to surround North Korea doing something like setting off an enhanced nuclear device or launching a missile. And it seems like North Korea is doing that far more frequently. Is it your sense that they will continue to do that frequently, we will continue not to be able to stop them, and therefore we will continue to have neuralgic reactions to their experimentation 
on a kind of every other month basis now for the remainder of this administration? We could well. And uh, what this depends on, David, is a few things. First, we're a little bit of an inflection point right now where we're trying to figure out whether this latest round of United Nations sanctions deeply watered down from what the Trump administration wanted. They wanted to cut off all the oil. They wanted the right to use military force to um, go intercept uh, ships in the high seas to inspect them. They wanted to uh, seize Kim Jong-un's personal assets if he has been keeping them around the world. Uh, they didn't get any of that. Uh, they got very watered down sanctions and they decided in the end like every president uh, before uh, Donald Trump has decided that it's better to get a unanimous United Nations resolution than it is to get something that would really make a big difference to the regime right away. So he went back to the same incremental approach that he has rightly criticized every pres president before him for applying. So if you're Kim Jong-un and you look at that, you say to yourself, well, look, I set off what I claimed to be a hydrogen bomb. If it wasn't a hydrogen bomb, it was pretty close. It was on the steps there. And the worst I got was a slight uptick in sanctions. So why wouldn't he keep going until he's got a Pakistan-like uh, nuclear arsenal, missiles that can reach the United States, and then say, you want to have a freeze in the system? Well, now I'm ready to freeze because I've got everything I want. And uh, that is my guess about what his strategy is going forward. And all those people who say that Kim Jong-un is crazy, well, people who listen to deep state radio may be crazy. People, OK. People who join us as guests are certainly crazy, crazy. Right, right? Right. OK. The host is beyond question crazy. OK. But Kim Jong-un may be the one rational actor in this whole thing. I mean, wait he, a minute. This is breaking news. So basically your assertion is Kim Jong-un is the only sane person on the planet. He is certainly the only sane person involved in this confrontation who is every day calculating very closely what it is he can get away with. And so far, he has a 100 percent perfect yeah, yeah. record. The only thing that has been done in reaction of serious nature, it has been done in reaction to his activities, is that Rosa has gone searching for the right silo to move the family into. Okay. No, that, no, no. You've reassured me that everything is fine, so I'm not moving to the silo after hey, all. <laughs> were you but wondering, Rosa, why I wasn't on the previous programs in August? Were it's you in the silo? I was deep in oh, the silo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Deep, deep in the silo, um, and deeply asleep. But Corey, as you listen to this, it does sound a little bit like what David is saying, um, and he certainly knows wherever he speaks that Kim Jong-un deserves some props here. He is kind of winning the Cold War with North Korea. He's absolutely winning this these series of exchanges. He is in the most dangerous position, which is straddling a barbed wire fence, almost to the ability to attack the United States. And he slammed his foot down on the gas pedal and threw the steering wheel out the window, and we keep avoiding him. Um, and by the way, I think it's the right choice to keep avoiding him. 
um, because the fundamental constraint on this problem is the vulnerability of South Korea to conventional attack by North Korea. It's the reason the last four American presidents haven't reduced the risk of attack to us by North Korea and taken out their program. Because even if you could manage at the exquisite military achievement of identifying all of the nuclear weapons, targeting their locations, hitting all those targets, and in the space of, say, two hours, taking out those 8,000 artillery pieces on the Korean border, you're still probably talking three to 400,000 dead South Koreans. And 125,000 Americans live in South Korea as well. There's no American president, I think including the current American president, who has ever been willing to put that at risk in order to preempt North Korea's behavior. And I think that's a judicious decision um, that that will continue to constrain this. On David's example about the miscalculation of a ship at sea, I would say um, in with great admiration of the American Navy that they have been subject to an extraordinary series of provocations by the Iranians for about the last two years in the Straits of Hormuz and in the uh, Arabian Gulf. And the American Navy has been restrained and professional. And, uh, you know, we may look at pictures of, of Navy ship collisions and be worried about the proficiency of our Navy. But when it's important and when it's dicey um, or sporty, as the Navy would say, um, they have been absolutely disciplined and professional. So I am less worried about the kind of miscalculation um, on the American part than it sounds like David is. But you're sort of sidestepping conveniently several recent accidents in the Pacific. Uh, no, I think I acknowledge that uh, Navy ships have been bashing into things and having things bash into them in the Pacific. Well, that's, you know, I mean, that could provoke things somewhat, but... I would Let never me. I would never argue openly with Corey because every time I do I lose and because she basically said at the beginning without saying it that you know you're exactly David right. David is right. Yeah. He is exactly right. But here's why I'm worried about the Navy thought. I think I agree with you. They've been extremely restrained in the in the Iran uh, arena. There is um reporting evidence to indicate that in both the cases of Iran and North Korea the administration is loosening or changing the rules of engagement here to make it clear that they're not going to put up with this kind of stuff from uh, either nuclear wannabes or small nuclear powers. And so if the North Koreans lose control of this and you know, open fire even with small arms at a ship they think is in their way, I, I, I think the United States would be completely within its rights to go respond. But it could lead to an escalation. A cyber attack could lead to an es escalation. There is no rule that says that you have to respond to a cyber attack with another cyber attack. Well, let's – there's so many things to unpack here. Let's just go to this, uh, this issue of loosening or changing the rules of engagement. Rosa, you know, this seems like a very small thing and it doesn't get a lot of coverage in the press and there's not big debates on it on the floor of uh, the Congress 
until there's a problem. And as was pointed out in the Persian Gulf, um, there have been regular confrontations and Trump ran on a campaign of saying we are not going to let them provoke us. They are going to you know, endure the wrath of the United States if something bad happens. He said similar things about North Korea. You You get tensions increasing with Iran because of the nuclear deal, tensions increasing with North Korea because of their nuclear experimentation, a slight reduction in the rules of engagement, more chances for an accident, right? More chances for an inadvertent entry into a conflict. No, absolutely. I, I think that's right. I, you know, I think that obviously what they're trying to balance uh, is, you know, the, 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 the Iranians and the North Koreans may make their own provocations deliberately or, or inadvertently on their side. So, so, but to the extent that we think that they may deliberately push us, you know, obviously it's the standard deterrence dilemma. If we suggest that we're never going to react, uh, then they push a little harder and they push a little harder and they push a little harder. You know, thus the, thus the argument for saying, no, we need to let them know that our rules of engagement are a little bit looser and, and don't, don't mess with us. Um, but it is a dangerous game, like all forms of, of brinksmanship. It's, 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 it's dangerous. It runs the risk not only of uh, undisciplined or unprofessional behavior on either side or deliberate provocations, but also as, as uh you suggested earlier, um, just accident that, that gets out of hand. Um, you know, I don't know, we don't know exactly what the rules of engagement are and those things tend to be not made public. And, uh, they also tend to not be things that are subject to congressional debate in any case from a legal perspective. It's, it's a, you know, commander in chief prerogative to decide specifics of the rules of engagement. So, so, no, it, it is worrying, uh, but I don't know that it's any more <laughs> worrying than the broader problem that we've discussed many times on our on our podcast, which is uh, having a president who is himself a, an ongoing provocation combined with a North Korean leader who himself is inclined towards endless provocations. Okay, well, let me... The, the, the ship at sea seems like the least of it, frankly. Well, okay, that's, a, that's an interesting question, although I think the constraints on the leaders institutional and political and otherwise may 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 be more substantive. Yeah, but David, I, I want to... The opposite. I think there, there are... I, I actually have a much greater degree of confidence that the average U.S. Navy ship will uh, attempt to operate in a constrained manner than, than I have any confidence whatsoever that the leaders of either of these countries will do so. Well, that's... A, okay, that's an important point. Let me pick up on something that Corey was saying and do a complete volt fast here um, uh, David, and, and, and having a moment ago suggested that Kim Jong-un was winning the Cold War between the United States and, and, and North Korea, frame it a different way. And that is, as Corey says, the costs of conflict are extremely high. It's the most important thing we are trying to avoid. The nuclear weapons are despite the occasional grain deal, not actually gaining that much for North Korea, which remains very isolated um, in the world. Um, and in fact, all our traditional deterrence against the use of nuclear weapons, uh, which would include the complete obliteration of North Korea, uh, will keep them from using them. And so what you've got is a situation where we are avoiding a conflict, 
We are isolating North Korea. They are spending lots of money on a technology that's not really going to get them anything. We're not actually giving them very much for that technology, so we're not capitulating. And maybe it should be said that all these American presidents who get beat up for kicking the can down the road and everything else, uh, given the fact that we're not going to go to war on the Korean Peninsula to stop this program, are actually managing it in the only way possible. And in the end, uh, if entropy does its thing and the fact that the North Korean system can't possibly succeed economically, um, uh, that maybe we're handling this in just the right way and 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 all these critiques are, are ill-considered. Well, I certainly would give President Trump and his team pretty high marks for how they've handled this so far with the possible exception of the um, uh, mid-summer or mid-August fire and fury line, which is what drove everybody to the thought that they needed to start investing in Rose's silos. Um, but if you take that apart and you just look at sort of what, what, they, what they did instead of uh, – instead of some of uh, the president's more wild lines, it, they haven't done it badly uh, at all. Um, there are some assumptions built into your question though that are worth questioning and that many people in the administration question. The first is that Kim never has any intention to use these weapons for anything other than keeping the United States from overthrowing his regime. That may be right. It also could be completely wrong. It could be that once Kim has demonstrated that he can hold any American city at, um, uh, at risk or at least the cities on the west coast where Corey is now driving around uh, madly trying to avoid being a target, uh, that if he can do that, he can change the nature of negotiations in Asia. That any time there's an argument about whether or not the U.S. will keep its troops in South Korea or deploy a, a naval mission someplace or something like that, he can credibly threaten an American city. And President Trump has said he will never accept that. And if that sounds wild to you, President Obama also said he would never accept that. In fact, all American presidents have said they will never accept that. So we're quickly running in this crisis to the question, what happens if Kim can credibly threaten that? And to all those American assurances, do we simply say, OK, we didn't really mean it. We actually are accepting de facto North Korea as a nuclear state. And we're going to live with it and contain it the way we contained the Soviet Union and China and so forth, which is great except we've all been told for 25 years you can't do that. So that's number one risk. And I think the second risk out of this is that Kim may well conclude that if, even if he used a nuclear weapon in a first strike, say in a conventional conflict with South Korea or could threaten that he was going to use it in that, that he would be betting the United States would not react with a nuclear attack on the north because his second strike could be against Los Angeles. What do you think, Corey? I agree with David. I think um, – This is getting I'm, tedious. <laughs> <laughs> I am shocked at the number of smart national security people who are not Korea experts, who are nonetheless um, – 
uh, you know, confidently predicting that Kim Jong-un's only purpose is regime survival. And I hope that's true, because if it is, I do think the Mexican standoff that is mutually assured destruction will stabilize this very dangerous circumstance. But I don't know that. And a whole lot of other people don't know it either and are making a series of presumptions about what American policy should be as though Kim won't, you know, once he once he believes he has deterrence operating with the United States, start firing on South Korea. I just think we're over invested in understanding an erratic country uh, that is the least connected to every place in the world where the leadership has shown a a really frightening willingness to impose catastrophic costs on its own society for purposes that seem mysterious to us. Okay. Rosa, I want to pivot a little bit. I want to sort of pivot back to those accidents and I want to pivot to a question of having sort of played around with the North Korea idea and sort of come to the conclusion that low-level conflict may be possible, higher-level conflict less likely. The question is, where will Donald Trump fight his first war? Where will he, as commander-in-chief, really be deploying troops or com- uh, overseeing action um, of of the hot sort that's not well, we're just... we're already fighting in a number of places. I mean, we have troops on the ground in Iraq. We have troops on the ground in Afghanistan. We don't hear much about it, but uh, we have troops getting killed in both of those places. So I think it's it's already happened. And well, Somalia and, and Somalia, and, and... et cetera. Well, okay. So those, I mean, we might say that you might say okay fine these 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 <laughs> ongoing say conf- that. <laughs> okay <laughs> I, I i guess what i was getting at was that those are long standing almost chronic conditions for the united states right now we've been in afghanistan for 17 years that we go in and out of the horn of africa since the clinton administration that uh our involvement in iraq goes and and actually dates back um, 26 years. Um, you know, the, these are these are sort of chronic conditions. The question is, what where will there be a flare-up? Where will there be something new? Where where should we um, uh, look if we are looking for the hottest risk uh, over the course of the next six, eight, ten months? Because there was a lot of discussion about North Korea, but I think there's some sense that it probably won't be there. You know, I'm going to stick with my with my longstanding tried and true commitment to saying I have no idea because the one and only thing that we do know for certain about this president is that he is erratic and unpredictable. Um, you know, I, I actually think that trying to predict this is a fruitless effort, uh, not only because obviously we don't know what other people in the world are going to do, but because most of all we have not this, you know, I, I don't have any confidence that there is any stability whatsoever or predictability to Trump's reaction. So who knows? It could be any place. Okay, so I'll differ from that one. 
Okay. Um, okay, so you agree with David go. all the time, but you go after your sister Rosie. Or... She's a she's a woman of fine fine taste. All the time. She she's she's got she's got great taste, and and clearly she's she's interested in me paying for the next you know overpriced dinner in Palo Alto. Absolutely, she is. Well, it's not you. It's actually I'm sure the dinner's being paid for by Carlos Slim, but. <laughs> Master, so, master I of the actually, so I do agree with Rosa that um, that uh, the the first wars plural that President Trump is going to fight, he's already fighting in Iraq, in Syria, in Afghanistan, in special forces, uh, trying to help friendly societies and prevent the spread of ISIS and its affiliates and Al Qaeda and its affiliates all over the place. That said, um, I'm going to differ from Rosa by, uh, I don't disagree that the president's erratic and, and the many other criticisms, but I actually will disagree. I bet President Trump chooses to fight no place that we are not already fighting. And that, uh, and that even if there are crises that they will not result in the use of military force by the United States. Because my read on the president is that, uh, you know, he likes to swagger around and talk a tough line. But if you look at the choices he's made about the use of military force, uh, the strike on Syria after the 17th chemical weapons use by uh, by Bashar al-Assad, the decision about forces in Afghanistan, the strategy for fighting ISIS in both Iraq and in Afghanistan. It looks to me like the president, uh, in all of those cases, is angling for minimalist options and do-nothing options. You know, he really had to be persuaded not to walk away from Afghanistan. And with the range of choice that I understand from reading in the newspaper um, that were presented to him on the Syria chemical weapons choice, he chose the most narrow one of them. So I don't actually think he is reckless or quick on the trigger. I actually think... He basically thinks wars are a losing proposition for us, and he wants money-making propositions for us. So, you know, I was actually, I I actually wouldn't go so far as to confidently predict that that remains the case, but I think that you are right, Corey. It could actually turn out that despite all of the bluster, he is a big chicken, um, which isn't a bad thing necessarily, depending, you know, particularly when it comes to not starting nuclear conflagrations. I think uh, <laughs> right. a big chicken is, is preferable to a big hawk. Um, but but no, I you, that that may well turn out to be the case that that he's not that interested, that he he likes to bluster and make noise and then he loses interest. Um, and luckily, there's always some other crisis coming up to distract him. I think this was my hypothesis at one point that it was, you know, uh, it was a good thing we had, uh, you know, Hurricane Harvey and Hurricane Irma just because they they distracted him from going to war. So maybe right. all we need is a series of domestic. Every time anything gets hot uh, in terms of foreign policy, uh, we just need a new hurricane. Wow. David, this is your chance. Something you've never done on this show. 
<laughs> Say the words, Corey. You're exactly right. Corey, unlike David, you are exactly right. <laughs> it um, made it go down easier to put yeah, David. Yeah. But I would, I would, uh, I would also add one caveat to that, which is, if the North Koreans take a shot over or around Guam, or if the Iranians get more confrontational with a U.S. Navy ship that may be more confrontational with it. I think those are the two circumstances where he may determine that this is a, you know, mano a mano uh, kind of thing. And I think it's sort of interesting that the two countries that this administration has spent the most time thinking about, far more than Afghanistan, far more than Syria, have been North Korea and Iran. And there was a principles or national security meeting just last Friday morning on trying to come up with how to counter Iran's activities all around uh, the world that you might interpret as a way of trying to keep Trump inside the Iran nuclear deal by giving him a way to go push back on Iran in other places and in other ways. But uh, in any case, those are the two he spends the most time working himself up about. And I think those are the two places that remain the biggest risk outside of some escalation in Afghanistan, Iraq, et cetera. Well, and I have to say, I fully intended to provide the big twist for this conversation by articulating the view that Corey just articulated. <laughs> um, that is a first. I, 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 it's a know, first thought, that David's pulling up the rear with opinions here? That's a well, first, Corey? <laughs> no, that's not. <laughs> no, that's not the first. But, but I, I had thought about it, uh, you know, oddly, and, and I, I'd come to the conclusion that it seemed to me that Starting new wars was not his style, that he was a classic bully who liked to talk tough, but when he gets stared squarely in the eye, he backs down, that he'd like to have a couple of deals. And then on some level, Trump, you know, despite all his talks of we've done more, we're doing more, and so on and so forth, would be perfectly happy if he didn't screw anything up terribly, if things just sort of cruised along, he gets a couple of wins. Um, uh, but doesn't get hung up in this kind of thing. Um, I mean, we're going through a discussion about, you know, is Trump really the closet Democrat that he's been his whole life? Um, <laughs> um, yeah, no. I'd be so happy away. if we could blame him on the Democrats. Oh, I just, you know, Corey, just, here's this fantasy that, you know, <laughs> you know, he and McConnell, it just gets worse and worse. And one morning, Trump wakes up and he goes, that does it. And he pulls out his, you know, smartphone and he tweets, I've decided that I'm going to switch to the Democratic Party. <laughs> I would be so happy. <laughs> I would be very sad. It would be. Heads across America would explode. They just wouldn't know how to handle it. It would be classic Trump. Uh, I mean, what a moment. What a, you know, well, just, and I would hope that the so-called leadership of the Democratic Party would have the courage and good sense to say, no, thank you. Those would be the ones he's having dinner with tonight? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're all like... Yeah, well... 
you know, it's like Trump is like calls them clowns and crybabies and stuff. And then he's like, want to have dinner? I could give you maybe half a DACA deal. And they're like, okay, we're over it. We're, we're in. <laughs> Um, I I do think it's smart on their part to try and wring other good deals out of the president. So I'm not criticizing them for having dinner with them. Moreover, even if they even if they can't get a deal out of it, you know, having members of opposite parties try and find common ground is is the thing I'm generally in favor of. You're so nice, Corey. I'm not that (laughs) nice. Um, I, I have to say, however, speaking of Democrats, if I could just be mean for a minute, that uh, for, for a minute? What happened <laughs> is the uh, title of Hillary Clinton's new book arrived in the mail, un- unordered, unsolicited. And I opened the envelope and, and what happened by Hillary Rodham Clinton was revealed. And I thought, I don't want to see this. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I felt a little bad about feeling that way, but I did feel that way. Well, I actually started to read it. Um, not David. In- not in a heart. I ordered it on on a Kindle, and I like read it, and it's actually pretty entertaining. It's a pretty good book. And the sad thing about that, there's a sort of hidden subtext which people who spent time with Hillary Clinton know, which is that she's really smart, she's quite funny, she's able to offer edgy opinions. Um, for all of her ambition, her core instincts are really good instincts, and she has exactly the kind of mind. Uh, that you'd want to have in somebody that you worked with in a government and might even perhaps even led one. And it's 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 very sad that she's displaying it in this postmortem in a way that she never did during the campaign. Did you know that she's also the author of a book called Dear Socks, Dear Buddy, Kids Letters to the First Pet? <laughs> Just saying. Nothing but net, Rosa. Nothing <laughs> but net. I, I don't know. I don't quite. Hey, I liked point. that book. What is okay. Wrong? <laughs> what is wrong with kids writing letters to their pets? Why do you hate pets? Why do you hate I, I kids? I like pets. I like pets. <laughs> my next book is going to be my pet dog. Love the sea. Love letters story. my dog wrote me. Right. Yeah, exactly. when everyone when everyone became pets and pets became everything. Yeah. <laughs> Step on no pets, a motto to live by. Yeah, ex- exactly. So I was kind of I... looking forward to Rose's <laughs> Hammerhead Sharks and the Law of the Sea. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 it would be Rose's Sharknado and the Law of the Sea. <laughs> oh, like, there does... we go. Uh, does the how... Law of the Sea apply on land in the instance of Sharknado? Yeah. Does the Law of the Sea apply to land sharks in Congress? Yeah, but well, but if a shark is flying through the air, hurled at you from a cyclone, and it lands on your head, who do you sue? <laughs> uh, Hillary Clinton. Well, no, that's wrong. Uh, <laughs> well, that uh, some, that's just the kind of thing that we're going to discuss in some future All Law of the Sea episode. Uh, I'm signing up for the Law yeah. of the Sea episode. David, I... All of us discuss it too little. David, I, I just looked on my calendar and I'm busy that day. Uh, but tell me, what day is that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, and Corey, what is your favorite Law of the Sea incident? I mean, there must be something involving Her Majesty's Navy in the South Pacific and the, you know, I mean, the... 
Mutiny on the Bounty era, something like that? Well, well, as you know, the Law of the Sea is a recent treaty, so it doesn't really extend back to the days of, for example, uh, the Paris Treaty on Seaborne Interdiction that the United States refused to sign up to in the 1860s, 50s and 60s. Please correct me where I where I get this wrong. Either Rosa or Deep State Nerds, uh, but we refused because we did not want slave ships interdicted. And then once the Civil War broke out, President Lincoln was in a real hurry to try and get the Congress to agree that for purposes of blockading the South, this was a fantastic treaty. Am I close to the mark on that, Rosa? I have absolutely no idea, Corey. No idea, Corey. But 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 that sounds it sounds absolutely right. Yeah, but I have to say, on behalf of David, I we're both insulted that you don't believe we knew the answer to that. <gasps> oh, I apologize, my friends. What is the answer, David? Yeah, David. 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 You know, I've been busy. Answer, I've been David? busy googling here, trying to you know come up with the answer, uh, which is where I get all of my great international legal uh, opinions. But for some reason, as That's soon as cheating. I typed in international, you know, law of the sea, my my iPhone ran out of battery. Oh, I think it's because they part don't. Part of the secret Russian information war. No, no, they don't work underwater. Yeah. <laughs> that was your mistake. Yeah, I thought I thought you were going to say that as soon as you typed in "Law of the Sea," your phone went to sleep. Um, <laughs> which, yeah, maybe okay. Too. I object, uh, David. All right, yeah, we I'm, need a special "Law of the Sea" episode. I'm going to invite all my friends. Yeah, okay. Well, we'll do a "Law of the Sea" episode. You know, who loves the "Law of the Sea," John Kerry. He loved oh, the "Law of the Sea." Because he's a fascinating man, and and, and he will be one. Fantastic taste. He will be one, and probably probably the most prominent, <laughs> the most prominent listener of the ten listeners to that episode. <laughs> no, he's That's responsible like for the Harry. entire, the entire windsurfing section of the Law of the Sea. Actually, he okay, uh, possibly the best Onion article of all time. From the 2004 election, John Kerry gives common man speech uh, from windsurfing on Bay. Well, nice. Hmm. Yeah, those were the days. Those were the good old days when we just didn't elect presidents because they were, I don't know, slightly dorky. Um, <laughs> oh, I'm homesick for those days. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Well, look at the current cover of The New Yorker, which is a picture of something like Hillary Clinton staring out the window. And the topic is imagining what it would have been like had Hillary Clinton been elected president. And it, you, I literally, I looked at it and I got a little choked up. It was like, <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, literally, I found, it, I found it a little moving. It was a little disturbing that mm. we had been so close. And yet, here we are. Um, but here we are. Deep state nerds. Um, what you've heard in the course of the past 45 minutes is a discussion that should once again make you a little more comfortable. Because these dark-minded experts who regularly turn up in our third floor, sub-basement, third sub-basement studio here in the Ministry of Snark, um, and who are very dark-minded about most things, sort of kind of think that an additional new shooting war under Donald Trump 
isn't that likely that there are a lot of factors mitigating against it. Does it mean the world's not dangerous? No, the world is dangerous. Does it mean the president's not dangerous? No, the president is dangerous. But it does mean that some of your worst fears may not play out. Uh, that's a little victory, and these days, little victories are plenty. Uh, David Sanger, thank you, and we look forward to having you back again often. Um, uh, Corey Shockey, I hope you got home all right. You're safe. <laughs> um, uh, thank you. Rosa Brooks, despite your hatred of kids and dogs, thank you. <laughs> uh, Wait a minute. Don't let your kids or dogs know this. And I hope. I like my listen. kids. I don't know about everybody else's kids or dogs, but mine are really nice. <laughs> By the way, that is exactly. That is exactly my position on children. <laughs> Mine are nearly perfect. The others I'm not so interested in. In any event, thank you, everybody. Come back next week. There will be more exciting um, news of the world. And I will be doing our first or maybe both episodes from Venice, Italy. And I Woo! will... Ooh. David, why don't you ever take us to these nice places yeah. to go to? Yeah, we have yeah, yeah, the offsite podcast. No, no, maybe we should. What we should do is the deep state radio cruise, and then we put everybody, you know, and you guys like talk to the people, and then we sell out the cruise. That we we'll take only everybody. sell out the cruise oh, if we promise it's a cruise with no discussion of law of the sea, even if we're in violation <laughs> of it. <laughs> Unenforceable, David you know, Sanger. That is unenforceable. People do this. Like fancy colleges try to sell their rich alumni cruises where their professors go as experts. Hey. The only I'm worried that our listeners do not have the financial wherewithal to pay the inflated fees. We will want to charge them. Hey, the New York Times. The New York Times sponsors such cruises, so uh, I don't understand why Deep State Radio couldn't. No, no, I could. It might be in a rowboat. It will be a leaky rowboat. But <laughs> okay, <laughs> come on a cruise <laughs> and choose the time you want to row. I, I have a kayak. Would you be on a, a rowing would, shift each day? Okay, so let me ask you guys: Would you still volunteer for the cruise if you knew that Rothkopf was the captain of the ship? Uh, Wait a second. I'm probably alone among the four of us are actually sort of qualified to actually be a captain of the ship. <laughs> I don't know. Our producer, Ian Enright, uh, who is sitting there quietly listening to us make fools of ourselves, I'm going to nominate Ian as the captain from okay. Goat Radio. Go Goat Rodeo. Radio. Goat Rodeo Radio. Goat Radio Radio, yeah. Well, look, folks, whoever wants to be the captain can be the captain. This right, is we'll have to, we'll ultimate. We'll have to do a Twitter poll on the Bible. Cruise. Cruise to, cruise to nowhere or the all law of the sea cruise. In any event, next week the cruise will be in a little gondola down a canal in Venice, Italy. Me, George Clooney, Amal, you know, that kind of stuff. And, of course, Rosa, Corey, maybe David if he can join us, and all of you. Please come back. We look forward to having you join us. Tell your friends. We are continuing to grow, and we really want you to um, make this part of your weekly habit. Thank you very much. Deep State Radio is a production of the Deep State Radio Network, a division of TRG Interactive Media. Our podcast today was produced in cooperation with Goat Rodeo Productions and was supervised by Ian Enright. 
Join us again for another episode of Deep State Radio. If you don't, we know where to find you.